Tonight we're going to be uh, predominantly in Matthew chapter 5, if you're following along. Uh, we're also going to have the verses on the screen for you guys. Starting out in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 28. We're just going to jump right into the, the word of God tonight. It says, you have heard, this is Jesus talking, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. A little bit of background on this text here. Jesus is giving what's called the Beatitudes. Well, previously he gave the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. So this is the longest sermon that we have recorded from Jesus in the Bible. And what he's doing here is he's taking what the religious leaders was, were teaching, but really getting to the heart of the law, of God's law in the Old Testament. And so people would say, well, it's, it's bad to maybe commit the physical act of adultery, but maybe I can kind of toe the line by looking with lust and doing things like that. And so Jesus says, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Tonight we're talking about pornography. There is someone here tonight struggling with addiction to lust or pornography. You can find freedom in the name of Jesus. I want to start out with kind of a general definition of pornography by calling it looking with lustful intent. Looking with lustful intent. This could obviously be uh, on, on the internet, on websites. This could even be things that maybe we don't consider to be pornography, but in a way it's, we still look at these things with lustful intent. It could be anything from like a TikTok or something on social media. It could be a TV show. It, it could be a lot of different things. Why are we talking about this? This is an awkward topic, right? Some of you guys might have been like, what the heck, Jared? Like, why are you talking about pornography? This is weird. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. But you know that it's everywhere. You know that. It's at your schools. It's, it's maybe in your home. It's, it's with your friends. You, I mean, it's everywhere. It's in the shows you watch. It is everywhere. It's also some statistics. It said 68% of church-going men use pornography. 56% of divorces are attributed in part to the partner's porn habit. 94% of children will see pornography by the age of 14. The porn industry makes more money every single year than Amazon. It makes more money than Disney. It makes more money than the MLB and the NFL and the NBA combined every single year. 64% of people ages 13 to 24 view porn at least on a weekly basis. One of the largest groups of pornography consumers is 12 to 17 year olds. Maybe we feel uncomfortable talking about this because in some way, shape, or form, we're talking about ourselves. It may not be as this, this crazy thing where you're like always going on porn websites or whatever. It may be something more subtle like I talked about. It could be some social media or whatever it may be. But when it comes to the topic of lust, we feel uncomfortable because we're talking about ourselves. In fact, you know, we, we feel uncomfortable because we kind of isolate ourselves. We kind of feel like maybe we're the only one that's struggling with this. But what these stats show is that if you're a teenager who has not been exposed to or struggled with pornography in some way, shape, or form, you are actually extremely rare. It's rare not to have dealt with this or been exposed to this. 
The first point that we're talking about tonight is you're not alone. You're not alone. Because it'd be rare uh, for you to, to not be exposed to this. And so this thing isolates us and makes us think that we're the only ones struggling with this, but you're not. Everybody is dealing with this. You are not alone, especially in your age demographic. And the Great Commission is this thing at the end of Matthew chapter 28 where Jesus sends out his people from the church and he says to them, go to all the world, share the gospel with all the nations. And as Jesus is sending them out, you think Jesus knows that they're going to have some struggles, right? Jesus knows that. You think Jesus knows they're going to have some temptations and things like that they're going to deal with? Yeah, of course, Jesus knows that. But what Jesus promises them in Matthew 28, 20, he says, I am with you always. I am with you always. I just want to highlight that one part of that verse. Jesus isn't saying, I'm with you when you're good. He isn't just saying, I'm with you when you're sober. I am with you uh, when, when you haven't lusted for some time. He isn't just saying, I'm with you uh, when you're not on your phone at youth group in the back there. He's not saying, I'm with you only when you're good. He's saying, I'm with you through it all. I'm with you in the middle of everything. Addiction isolates. It makes you think that you're the only one that is struggling. It makes you think you're the only one, the only Christian guy or girl that's struggling, that's dealing with pornography, but you are not. You have God and you have others. But you won't find freedom unless you are real with God and other people. Otherwise, you're just always going to feel alone. I was first exposed to pornography when I was 14 years old. 14 years old. So that might be, that's a little bit old actually, uh, according to these stats. I had a phone, I had an iPod, as a teenager, I was addicted, but I didn't find freedom until I talked to someone about it. As a Christian teenager, I was someone who was looked up to, I was preaching and teaching to my peers. I went on all the mission trips, but my religion wasn't good enough to set me free because only the blood of Jesus can do that. I wasn't good enough to face this thing on my own. And I came to a point where I reached out for help and I realized that I was not alone. You are not alone. Reach out to one of your leaders, reach out to a friend. That's a huge step to finding freedom. The next point tonight is you are wounded. If you have... Uh, engage in this kind of activity, whether it be you know lust, sexual activity, it is wounds. Sin wounds us. Okay, sin wounds us. What if rather than treating addiction pornography like a sin to be resisted, it is. But what if rather just looking at it like a sin to be resisted? What if we also looked at it like a wound that needed to be healed? I think that might change a perspective on how we try to fight that battle. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 says this. It says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but a sexually immoral person sins against his own body. That word right there in the Greek for sexual immorality is the Greek word porneia. That's the word. Sounds familiar, right? This is what it says when we are tempted by porneia. It says to flee. It says to run away. Run like crazy. Run like you're being chased like a bear in the forest. Run like a hive of bees is chasing you. Run like there's a murderer out to get you because the devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. 
And the prostitute or pornography will steal your joy and turn it into shame. It will kill your time and destroy your relationships by keeping your real self isolated from others. It will wound you. It will wound you. He says anyone that, we have that verse up again. It says anyone, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral porneia person sins against his own body. You are hurting yourself. You are wounding yourself. There's a few ways that it wounds us. The first way is that we become spiritually wounded. Become spiritually wounded. It severs your relationship with God. That intimate union with God that you were created for, pornography, sexual sin, it, it severs that relationship. That good thing that God made you for. It makes you run and hide from God because of shame. And your identity goes from being in Christ to being in shame and thinking, man, I'm never going to overcome this. You're spiritually wounded. The next point of that wounds us is it wounds your brain. You are physically wounded when you're addicted to pornography. Here's how. It creates unhealthy neural pathways in your brain. Your brain has a bunch of neuro, neurons in it, little electric pulses and things like that, little pathways. That's what your thoughts are. It's a little electric pulse. Dopamine is the main pleasure chemical in your brain. Everybody say dopamine. Dopamine. All right, cool. Dope. So dopamine is the main pleasure chemical in your brain. This, this is what your brain releases to, to feel pleasure. And the prefrontal cortex, everybody say prefrontal cortex. Prefrontal cortex. I'm not a science teacher, but anyways. Prefrontal cortex is the part of your brain that makes decisions. It makes decisions. But when you have an addiction like pornography, it could be drugs as well, uh, alcohol, but pornography is what we're talking about tonight. When you watch pornography, you get pleasure from the release of dopamine in your brain. What happens is it creates an unnatural stimulus in your head. And your head becomes overly saturated with dopamine because it was unnatural. You got an unnatural dopamine high. It becomes so saturated that your brain can't absorb it at the same level. It's kind of like you're turning your brain into a swamp an unhealthy swamp of dopamine. And what this does is it, it causes you to seek more and more higher levels of dopamine just to feel that high again. It's the same, same as a drug addiction. You, you compare a, a, a porn addict's brain to a drug, a drug addict's brain, they look pretty similar under a CAT cas scan, right? Am I right? Okay, I think that's the name of the scan. So you're seeking this dopamine high that you can't get as easily, so you go further and further and further. And as you're going down this path over and over again, your willpower becomes to be diminished. Another result of the addicted brain, the way that it physically affects you, is there's this protein, a molecule called delta fos B, and there's this researcher that shows how this protein molecule, it accumulates and it persists, persists in the reward pathways of your brain in response to this stimulation due to an addiction. So this protein builds up into your brain and it causes you to crave and binge this addiction more and more and more. You are physically wounded in your brain from consuming pornography. So you're spiritually wounded, you're physically wounded. It also wounds relationships. Statistics say that someone is 318% more likely to cheat on their spouse if they use pornography. It also affects your friendships. 
Uh, from the National Survey of Christian Students, six out of 10 people admitted that their porn use negatively impacted their friendships. There's this Bible verse in John chapter one, verse seven, that I think proves that. It, it says this, it says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So when we're walking in the light, everything in our life, we're honest with others, we're real with God, we have fellowship with other people. But if we're living in darkness, and we have this dark secret sin that, that we're holding on to, we're not letting the light shine there, then that hurts our fellowship that we have with other people. And it can hurt relationships and lead to isolation. The last kind of wound that happens is emotional wounding. You can be emotionally wounded. I've heard it said that addictions, something like pornography, is often not really a bad problem, but really a bad solution. It's a way to medicate, maybe when you're feeling stressed or tired or lonely. It's a way to medicate those feelings and emotions that you don't want to feel. When you medicate those feelings and emotions with something that's just going to make you feel worse, it leads to a bad cycle and leaves you more emotionally damaged than you were before. So it wounds you. It wounds you spiritually, it wounds you physically, it wounds your relationships, it, wo it wounds you emotionally. How can we be healed from this wound? James chapter five, verse 16. says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be what? Healed. healed. A prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The next point tonight is that you will only be as healed as you are honest. You will only be as healed as you are honest. This verse is talking about confession and prayer, and that's not what we want to hear. What we want to hear is you will be healed when you just try harder. You keep this thing to yourself because it's embarrassing or whatever. You don't tell anyone. But no, the Bible says if you want healing in your life, it comes through confession, not just to God, to others, and prayer. And notice, it's not just you praying to God, like, God, if I just pray hard enough and long enough, then this will get out of my life. No, it's saying, have other people pray for you, because the prayer of a righteous person, God listens to that. You need to have other righteous men and women of God in your corner to help you. So no matter how many boundaries you put up, no matter how many devotionals you do, no matter how many times you swear, this is the last time, never again, I'm never going to do this again. You will never be healed unless you have consistent accountability and encouragement in your life. Notice I said consistent accountability. Not just accountability, but consistent. It's kind of like if you go to the doctor and you're sick and the doctor gives you some medicine and says you have to take this, otherwise you won't be healed. And So you say, okay, and you go home and you, you take a pill the next day, maybe for a few days like you're supposed to, but eventually it becomes every other day, then maybe every other week. Are you really going to heal the way you're supposed to? No. Right? Because you're not taking the medicine the way you're supposed to do it. It's supposed to be consistent. In the same way with accountability, it has to be weekly. It has to be maybe even daily. It has to be consistent for it to work. Today, you can seek healing. If you're, if you're feeling that shame, if you're feeling those wounds that we talked about, you can experience healing in your life. You can look shame in the eye and you can say, I'm worth fighting for 
And God's not done with me yet, even though I have this thing in my life. Why don't you guys take out your phones real quick. Take out your phones. Some of you guys are already there. Take out your phones and zoom up on the screen. And so take a picture of this slide right here. So I want to give you guys a chance to do that sometime this week, tomorrow, whatever it may be. If you're a guy, you can text this number. This is my number. If you're a girl, you can text that number. It's one of our girl leaders, Summer. And if you're someone that is struggling with this, we want to help you. We're not going to like reveal you or whatever. We just want to help you and, and come alongside you and help you, not judge you, but lead you to Christ in the middle of this. We want to be that person that you can help uh, confess to, that we can pray for you. And so uh, that's just a real practical thing right there. So everyone has an opportunity to do that, girls and guys. Because you're only going to be as healed as you are honest. If you're not completely honest, then you're never going to be completely healed. The next point tonight is that you have to be willing to do whatever it takes. You have to be willing to do whatever it takes. Matthew chapter 5, verse 29 through 30. Continuing from earlier. Jesus had just said, anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then the next verse, he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. So Jesus isn't really telling people to literally cut off their hands. Because if he did that, every time he lost every, or whatever, all Christians would like be blind and have stubby arms, right? <laughs> because we all mess up, we all lust. You know, you could, you could go into work or go into school and you see another, another dude like with his hand chopped off, you're like, Christian? Yeah, yeah, me too. You got like an eye patch on, right? And so Jesus isn't saying like, hey, I want all you guys to... Uh, Chop off your hands and arms and stuff like that. That's what I want you to do. That's not the message Jesus is trying to get up, get across. Is he talking about boundaries? Yeah, if this thing's causing you to sin, cut it out of your life. That's true. But I think it's more than that. I think what Jesus is saying is how far are you willing to sacrifice to have freedom? How much are you willing to sacrifice? No matter how painful it might be to you. Are you willing to do whatever it takes? Are you willing to sacrifice your anonymity to reach out to someone when you need help? Are you willing to sacrifice your time and be disciplined to read the word of God, to go into an accountability group, to meet up with others? How bad do you want to be free? I heard this story. Um, this is a motivational speaker, pretty cool, a Christian guy. His name's uh, Eric Thomas. And he, he told this story that went viral. Uh, it's probably like 10 years back now. And so he tells this story about seeking success. And in this story, he, he talks about a guy that wants to be successful. He wants to make money and be rich. And so he goes to this guru, this entrepreneur guy that's, that's really wealthy, and tells him, I want to make money. And eventually the guru says, okay, like, I'll help you. I'll teach you. And so what I want you to do is I want you to meet me tomorrow morning at 4.30 in the morning at the beach. So he says, okay, it's pretty early, but I'll go and I'll meet you there. So he goes to the beach to meet this guru, and the guru's you know, standing there on the shore, and this guy's wearing a suit. Probably should have worn a suit. 
And the guru says, okay, we're going to go out into, this, into the water right now. So he goes out into the water with his guru in his suit. And he says, I want you to go out a little farther. And by this point, he's at his waist. He says, let's go out just a little bit farther. He's with him. And he's at his shoulders. Just a little farther. And he's at his neck. And, and pretty soon, he's, he's just barely you know, above his chin. Barely enough to be able to breathe. And he says, we're going to go out a little bit farther. And his whole head is underwater. And the guru, he takes him and he pushes him underwater. And he holds him under. And this guy, he's gasping for air. He, he's grabbing at him. He's, you know, he's thinking to himself, what did I get myself into? You know, he, he's grasping for air. He's trying to get out of the water. And finally, when he feels like he can't hold his breath any longer, he lets him up to breathe. He's like, what the heck, man? <laughs> right? And they go back to the shore. And he's, he's like, why did you do that to me? He said, when you were under that water, what were you thinking about? You weren't thinking about money. You weren't thinking about all the success you want to have. The only thing that was on your mind is I want to breathe. That's the only thing. And he said, unless you want success as bad as you want to breathe, you will never be successful in your life. And I hear a story like that, and they're talking about worldly success and making money. And I'm thinking if people can seek a temporary dust, moth and dust reward on this earth with that much passion, like their life depends on it, then how much more should we pursue our eternal reward of God in heaven? We should seek Christ with everything we have. How much more should our heart cry out, I don't care about anything else. All I want is eternal life. All I want is to breathe. I am done living this way, and I must have Christ. Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. Jesus says, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, and you want to live in freedom, you have to want it more than life. You have to want it more than you need to breathe. That's how we are to desire God. If you want to live in death and separation from God, that severed relationship, that spiritual wounding, that emotional wounding, that physical wounding, that relational wounding, you can live in that. But if you want to be made alive in Christ, if you want to become alive, then you have to leave the dead old you behind and say, I don't care what it costs. I just want to breathe. And I want to have eternal life. And I want to live in freedom with my God through the blood of Jesus. If you want freedom with 90% of who you are, you will never be free. If you want freedom with 95% of who you are, you will never be free. If you want freedom with 99% of who you are, you will never be free. It has to be 100%. Where is freedom found? It's found at the cross. John chapter 8, verse 34 through 35, Jesus is talking. He says, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you. And when he says truly, truly, he's, he's really emphasizing there. Listen up. This is true. So you've been zoning out? Listen up. This is true. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free 
and deed. If you practice sin and you're enslaved to sin, you're in addiction, you are putting yourself in slavery to that sin. And Jesus is saying the way that you can be free is through the Son. It's through me. Our last point tonight is you can find freedom in Christ. You can find freedom in Christ. Maybe you've already found freedom in Christ. Maybe you haven't. First of all, how do you find freedom in Christ? We find freedom in Christ when we look at what we've become and look at the mess of our life. And we say, God, I don't want to go this way anymore. God, I, I want you. I want to turn around. I know I'm not living for what I should be living for. I should be living for you. I've been living in the less, God. I want to live in the more. And you turn from your sin and you put your trust in what Jesus did for you. You're saved by his, his works on the cross, not your works. By his blood, by his sacrifice, you trust in him. You trust that he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death for you. And then you are free. And you are no longer called a sinner, but you are called righteous by God. You are instantly justified. You're instantly made right with God. Your sins are on the cross. His blood covers all the wrong that you have done in your life. Now you might be wondering, well, if I've been set free, if I'm already a Christian, then why am I still falling to this? If the Son has set me free from this slavery, then how come I'm living in these chains? Why do I still feel like I'm in chains? Because even though you are free, you can be not living in freedom. Even though you are free, maybe you're not living in freedom. You are a slave to sin, but God has purchased you from your old master to make you free to live for him. You were bought with the precious blood of Christ. Yet sometimes, even though you're bought with the precious blood of Christ to live in the more, sometimes you still live in the mess, in the less. It's like God came in and broke your chains, but you're still holding on to them. God broke into your prison. God broke in, into your slavery. He, he broke those chains off of your wrist. But they're, they're still attached to you because you're holding on to them. And it's going to take something supernatural for you to become free. But here's the deal. God already did the super. Jesus said it is finished. The Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are set free. You are made right before God. That is your identity now, period. But it still is going to take something supernatural for you to be free. God did the super and broke the chains. But now you have to do the natural and let them go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray tonight for anyone that's struggling with pornography, God, that they would know that there's freedom found in your name, that they would reach out for help and give them the courage, strength to do that. God, we pray that you would help us to live in our identity and you not to live in the identity of shame, to live in the freedom that you have purchased us for. And if any student tonight is not living in that freedom or, or they don't even know you, they don't even know what it means to be set free, God, I pray that you would open their heart to to seek the truth of your word, to seek the truth of the gospel, that their life would be dramatically transformed, that they would go from death to life, from separation to a relationship with you. And I ask this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.